podcast. Going to be talking about nutrition part two. So here we are. Last time we uh, we got together, we were talking a little bit about some uh, some time restricted feeding, talking about some of the stuff that you were going to be doing with uh, with your diet, Josh, and then a couple of other just sort of uh, general concepts. We just wanted to sort of keep building on that. So. Uh, just really quick, how's your how's your time restricted feeding your intermittent fasting? It's been going, going really well. I really uh, I really have come to believe in it a lot. I think it's right on the money again. Getting back to that standpoint of uh, being regular, I think your body thrives on regularity, and I think that's a huge tool in the toolbox. Uh, eating and using your digestive system at the same time every day. Uh, something interesting I looked into when we got done last week, last time was. Uh, a study that they had done on the average American, the window of eating that they had. So they said if it was self-prescribed, they would be right about 12 hours. And when they actually looked into it, the average American was closer to 15 to 16 hours. Which, which meant their feeding window was 15 to 16 hours. Exactly. Wow, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, a- which makes a lot of sense. People think that, you know, that's a while for them. But when you really think about it, eight hours of sleep... People have their coffee relatively early, which you said, correct me if I'm wrong, starts the, the feeding window in any, any non-water essentially. So it kind of depends on that, right? So like it depends on whether they're using cream or sugar in their okay. uh, in their um, coffee. If they're not, if it's just regular black coffee, if they're they're sweetening it with stevia, uh, I don't really consider that breaking the fast. So cool. I even have – I will have coffee and green tea in the morning before I have my first official meal at, at uh, 1 o'clock. Uh, but that doesn't really surprise me, the fact that people sort of – um, misrepresent like what they eat. This is one of the the big limitations that we see in a lot of nutrition based studies. Uh, a lot of them will use like self reported food questionnaires. So they basically have a questionnaire that says, you know, what have you eaten in the last three days? Um, and I don't know about you, but like, can you remember exactly what you had for breakfast like three days ago, or like all of the snacks that you had Not from three days ago? So I mean, that's definitely a limitation. People's memories are not exactly the most uh, reliable things. Uh, but it's honestly, it's in a lot of cases, it's the best we can do. I think the actual best that we can do is studies where food is provided to people. Uh, and if it's a time-restricted feeding study, a lot of them have moved towards that. So you have the same amount of calories, the same amount of protein. So we're getting a lot better at sort of controlling for those things in studies. But um, personally speaking, how have your, um, what results have you noticed? So noticed a definite decrease in... Uh just some of that water bloat type of uh, type of look, looking from a purely kind of aesthetic standpoint, and then we'll get into how I've been overall been feeling. So, like I said, it hasn't been perfect because one of the things I've noticed, at least for myself, is that it has to be planned. When you're cutting that window down to down to twelve hours, I found it easy to start my uh, eating window with you know my my normal breakfast kind of go about my day, hit lunch fine, and then towards the end, okay, got my workout in, okay, work is done, and rapidly approaching the end of that 12-hour mark, and, you know, still not really knowing what I'm going to do for dinner. So I think it's going to be significantly easier, and 12 hours is by no means difficult, but for me, I know it's going to be much, much easier when uh, I actually cook. I think that's a huge part of it, is cooking your meals and having huge. them waiting. Huge. And, uh, and at that point, I think I could shorten it even more. And I think, yeah, that's what a lot of people will end up doing. And to your point of like eating on like a rhythm or a schedule, um, that's really, really important. I think I've seen some studies that show that, uh, you know, eating based on your circadian rhythm, 
um, to sort of match that up, right? Because obviously your your circadian rhythm in your sleep, like you were talking about, you even mentioned like people get eight hours of sleep and then they have that. And in my head, I was thinking, no, most people don't get eight hours. Of sleep. Most true. people are getting between five and six hours of sleep. So if they were getting eight hours, that would be even better. But uh, yeah, to that point, like circadian rhythms are really important as it relates to body composition and overall health as well. And I think it, you know they're important for for nutrition as well. You know, people that work. I can't tell you how many clients I've had, especially here working at a hospital, that uh, they come in and they tell me, hey, I work the third shift and it's just impossible to get food on my shift. I just don't, I can't get it in. I'm constantly busy. Or if I do get food in, it's really crappy quality. Uh, and so they have trouble, you know, both adding muscle mass or losing weight or having body composition changes. And I think one of the factors at play there is the fact that they're not really eating to match their circadian rhythm. They're really just eating kind of whenever they can get it. Uh, and so that kind of goes back to what we, we've talked about in terms of training, sleeping, any of this stuff. Like there's maybe no wrong way, quote unquote, to, to sort of eat, but there's probably an optimal way or, or a way that's, uh, that's going to optimize whatever your particular goal is. And for a lot of these people, if you're doing time-restricted feeding uh, and you don't choose a window that works either for your schedule or for your circadian rhythm, then yeah, you might not see uh, the kind of results that, that you could or should. And then getting back to the point that you said, like making your meals and having that prep done, like that's usually the first, the very first thing that I cover with anybody when it comes to nutrition is like that is a keystone habit. Like besides the fact that you're going to save money, besides the fact that you're going to be controlling what's going into your body, uh, it's so much easier. You know, we talk about, I talk about this with my clients a lot, that attention and focus is a finite resource. Uh, and throughout your day, you are spending that resource on different things, on not yelling at your boss, on not screaming at the person that's in traffic, on not choosing the giant Kit Kat when you stop to get gas somewhere. You know, so by the time you get to the end of the day, if you don't have a meal that's pre-planned and sort of pre-portioned for you, you're a lot more likely to make a bad choice and say, you know, what? I'm on my way home, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm stopping at Chick-fil-A and I'm getting that number one with sauce. You know what I mean? Like, I just I just don't care. Like, this is what I want and it's what I got to do. Whereas if you have those meals planned, you have them pre-portioned and prepped, it doesn't take any attention or focus. You just go there, you grab it, you eat it, and you're done. It's a diet nutrition change that promotes a lifestyle change. And I think that's what you just uh, – you know, you kind of kind of alluded to is it? It doesn't just. It's not something that's just going to help. Oh, okay, I'm shortening up my my time window so I can, you know, lose a little bit of fat, gain a little bit of muscle. Cooking for yourself, I think, is really huge from a lifestyle standpoint. Like you said, saving the wallet, saving everything. That when you're preparing meals at home, there's a lot of benefit to that from the micronutrient standpoint to the macronutrient standpoint. You know, you know exactly what's going in. It's easier to track if you're really delving into it and it's easier to know you're not messing up if you're just trying to be quick so and that kind of gets into like the uh the if it fits your macros is uh you know is is it what is your opinion there dave is it am i good if i have uh 200 grams of carbs that i can have am i good with crushing some oreos and uh some ben and jerry's so uh, there's no easy answer to anything as it comes to as it relates to nutrition, man, because, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we inhabit the single most complex organism in the known universe. And so for for the people out there that are trying to find a simple answer to anything, you know, the only thing I can really say is just stop it. Stop <laughs> trying to find a simple answer to the most complex system in the entire universe. So um, if your only goal is body composition, you don't care if you die at age 40 or 50 or anything like that. You don't care about longevity. You don't care about, you know, your overall health. And you only care about good body composition. It is possible 
on if it fits your macros to to hit your body composition goals. Uh, because as most studies have shown, you know diets are really uh, dependent on on calories. So if you're in a calorie deficit, you will lose weight unless you have some sort of pathology, unless you have some sort of uh, thyroid issue or some other pathology, you will lose weight in a calorie deficit and you will generally gain weight on calorie surplus. Uh, so that's kind of the, the basis of like a calorie is a calorie and if it fits your macros and you know and you hit those numbers it kind of doesn't matter what you hit them with uh but the other side of that coin is uh is the micronutrients and the, the you know the vitamins and minerals that you may be getting in the the quality of foods um there isn't a whole lot of nutrient density in things like uh you know tacos and doritos and donuts and ice cream and those kinds of things um, so one of the reasons that people have sort of railed against if it fits your macros is exactly that because you can't get a really well balanced diet you can't get something that's like that's going to take care of your cells and your DNA and uh, and be heart healthy and all of those other pieces that people will generally consider when it comes to their diet because most people will have you know primarily as their goal when it relates to diet is health like general health like they're coming in because they're diabetic or pre-diabetic or they have you know they're obese or overweight uh, and it's a smaller subset of the population, but it's also a louder subset of the population that comes in and uses the if it fits your macros because they're like, oh, bro, I just want to have ripped abs and a fucking six-pack for this, man. That's all yeah. I want to do for the summer, man. And that's okay because if that's the only goal that you have and if you're you know, you're know that short-sighted and that's the only thing you want to do, it can work. Uh, but, I mean, that's true of any diet. The keto diet can work that way. Paleo and, you know, you were just telling me earlier about this, uh, this all-carnivore diet, which... Uh, I'm not super sure how you feel about that yeah. yet, but uh... going back to what we've kind of always said is all everything, even getting into a quote, everything works, nothing works all the time, and nothing works kind of perfectly. Just like if it fits your macros, yeah, can it work? Is it optimal? Common sense just tells me no. Like you know, a, a comparable amount of carbs is going to be, think of how you're going to feel if you ate the same amount of carbs from a pack of Doritos and the same amount of carbs from a bowl of fresh fruit. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way you feel, move, train, you go for a run, you go for a swim, you go for a, a, a lifting session, it's going to be completely different. And uh, and that's just kind of put the nail in the coffin for if it fits your macros for me. It's just overall, how do you, how do you, how you feel on certain things, it kind of makes it uh, easy to see that a calorie is not necessarily a calorie calorie from how you feel and uh, and how your body breaks it down and and moves it through your system and utilizes it. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go back to this point over and over again. Is just that like there are so many variables at play with any diet and any individual person that uh, I think something that we need to do as like practitioners in the field is like stop trying to have a definitive answer for these kinds of things and just understand that all of this that we do even what we do right here is just asking questions and then having a discussion we are never going to solve this we're never going to come up with the most optimal diet the most perfect workout plan any of that stuff it's just not possible because even if you come up with that for one person for one day it's going to change from one day to the next based on their sleep and their hydration and the way that their own body is going to change you know over time some people develop like lactose intolerance or some people that were lactose intolerance that goes away uh and so i think that's one of the things that i try to to make people understand is that you know all we're really doing is making educated guesses about this kind of stuff and and kind of having a conversation there's no such thing as like definitive answers to say this is the best this is the best that we're not and uh and this is something really interesting i was just looking up also uh the 
I believe it's called the Institute of uh, Psychological Eating, talks about not only what you eat being healthy, but also looking based on like uh, even like ethnic background, uh, like they incorporate like DNA testing and did a study, I think it was like uh, an uh, Italian family. They had been given a, again, a comparable on a, if it fits your macro scale of an Italian diet, you know, traditional Italian foods and kind of an American diet. And they basically absorbed more of the nutrients and utilized more of the nutrients, their, their blood levels, their hair analysis improved better on the uh, Italian diet because they were in a better mindset to absorb food. And that gets into talking about, like you were saying, with the nurses and people in the hospital setting. You know, not only are they eating ne- not necessarily bad food, but it's a, if it's in a rush, if your body's stressed, how much of that total output is going to be put towards digesting the nutrients and instead of, you know, maybe the priority in that situation is handling the stress, keeping uh, cognitive function high. Sure. And uh, one thing that I think we were talking about earlier, like we, we had just started talking about like the uh, the carnivore diet and we were discussing that before we started the show, but um, is this concept of like metabolic flexibility. So, so one thing that I, uh, you know, everybody is sort of big on the keto diet right now. Um, and it's fine, you know, it's one of those diets that it's, it's doable, you can give it a shot, you can see how you feel on it. I've done it before. Uh, the lab that I used to work at when I was doing my master's degree did a fair amount of research on the ketogenic diet and some of its benefits. And for the right person in the right situation, it can absolutely be beneficial. Um, but I always go back to the same kind of thing, right? And, and this is what made me think of it when you were talking about the carnivore diet, which is sort of like the ketogenic diet, but it's it's really even without any of the carbs. Right. There's no vegetables. Harsher. It's just only meat and fat. Um, and to me, personally, my initial reaction to that is that's, that's probably too extreme. And as I said to you uh, before we started the show, like if your body – your body has this really, really incredible system for digesting and utilizing carbohydrates for energy. Um, I would say that carbohydrates are probably your body's favorite fuel for energy. Um, you can make the case that you know fat is the favorite fuel, quote unquote, because it utilizes it more efficiently, or you get more um, you get more energy from it. But I also believe that your body, which is like I said, the most complex thing in the universe, wouldn't have that system in place uh, to utilize those carbohydrates if it wasn't supposed to. So this idea that I was reading about that the carnivore diet is like quote unquote how animals should live or whatever. You know, I don't really super buy that. Like I said, you know, we've talked about this. This is literally the name of the podcast, Adapt or Die. Mm-hmm. Can you survive on an all-meat diet? Right. It appears yes, because <laughs> the guy that was the subject of that article looked like he was doing it for over a year. Uh, and I'm sure other people have done that. I know people have survived the ketogenic diet for years and years and years. Um, so, yes, can your body survive on these things? Yeah, because you live in the most resilient creature slash being slash vehicle that uh that exists in the universe so yeah your body will adapt to it or it will not adapt and it will die um but again in terms of like optimizing your life or optimizing your sport like no probably not like Mm -hmm. as with most things balance is probably going to be best and that kind of gets back to that concept of uh of metabolic flexibility like yes if you have an engine if you think of your your body's metabolism as an engine right like a uh an unleaded fuel engine you know, going over to the ketogenic diet is sort of akin to switching it to biodiesel. Uh, can you do it? Sure you can. So yeah, you can take that unle- unleaded gas engine and turn it into a biodiesel engine. Uh, but that process is long, it's lengthy, it's involved. Uh, it's kind of a pain in the ass. And once you get there, you can't just decide one day, okay, I'm going to go and put unleaded gas back in my engine. Like 
you can't do that. That shit's going to blow up. And the exact same thing is true. And that's what I've been telling my clients that have wanted to try the keto diet. So listen, you can do this, but you got to understand this is a several month commitment. This is like three to four months that you're committing to this because you're not just trying out a diet that's based entirely around fat. You are literally adjusting your entire metabolism in order to shift everything that it does. And I always tell people this, your body learns about your environment based on the food that you eat. And so if all of a sudden you shift that drastically and wildly, but you do it for two months and then you go, all right, I'm good. People don't understand like the amount of stuff that changes in your body. Like your body will stop making the enzymes that are required to to digest some of those uh, carbohydrates. Uh, obviously, you're going to go into a state of ketosis, and you know your muscle glycogen stores are going to be depleted. Like, there's a lot of changes that happen on a on a cellular physiological level, potentially even on a DNA level. Because I haven't, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't dived into the research that deeply to see. Um, but I mean, it makes sense if you're if you're adjusting everything that you eat for that length of time that you're going to have that sort of serious amount of change. And you can't just decide one day, like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go have some beers and some donuts and stuff. You're absolutely going to blow up. And I tell my clients that, like, you're taking a month to to sort of adjust to keto and the lifestyle of it. You're going to take at least a month of being in ketosis or, or um, you know, following the diet strictly after you've adapted to see what sort of results you get. And then if you decide this isn't for me, you're at least a month to, to really up to six months of slowly, yeah, exactly, transitioning back into using those carbs again so that you can have that metabolic flexibility. Uh, I've seen some people talk about this idea of like keto during the week and not keto on the weekends, and that's just, I mean, that's like the worst of all worlds. Right, right. And that's a huge point for me. A big takeaway last time was it's not just a, a process to get into keto. It's not just a process to get into even, you know, weight training, anything you're trying to do, anything, any new input you're trying to expose your body to also has a process of phasing out or of changing something like it doesn't your body is is like you said it's absolutely amazing at adapting but it also takes some time and is is sometimes even a little bit semi-lazy to take time to to change and to readapt to what was what was old or to readapt to what was new again bouncing back and forth you know, that takes its toll. It does. And yeah, I'm going to use a different word than lazy. I'm going to say it's safe because your body is a, is a creature of survival. Um, and I think that's the reason. Like I tell people that that have been in, in calorie deficits for a long time. Uh, there's a handful of things that I, that will quote unquote damage your metabolism. One of them is really, really big wild swings in, in weight loss. Um, so when I see people that have lost 40 pounds and then gained 50 pounds back and then lost 50 pounds again, uh, every time that happens for them, uh, they damage their metabolism. So it becomes less and less likely that they're going to see that weight loss that fourth time, that fifth time through that sort of cycle. Uh, and it makes sense. Your body is there to make you survive. Your body does not need you or want you to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger with a ripped six pack and huge pecs and shoulders. Like it just wants you to survive. Right. And so for example, fat is going to help you survive in an emergency situation and muscles not. Muscle costs you energy to run and fat really doesn't. Um, and so your body wants to have a sub, not a substantial, but a reasonable amount of fat stores. And it doesn't want to have a huge amount of muscle mass because like I said, it's going to cost uh, energy to run that. So when it comes to, uh, to those kinds of changes in your metabolism, it's not necessarily lazy. It's just conservative. So I tell people that have been on, you know, deficits of 1200 calories or, you know, they've been on a 1200 calorie diet for the past six months. Say, so listen, before we can ever hope to have you lose weight or, or improve your body composition, we need to get you to increase your number of calories and let your body learn that that's its new baseline. Because if you don't do that, if you don't sort of have the ability to convince your body that it's got fuel available, 
um, it's just going to start shutting things down. You know, it's going to say, all right, well, if all I have available for fuel is 1200 calories a day, I'm going to turn off every, I mean, it's literally like Apollo 13. Like we're going to turn off all of the inessential systems and we're only going to get the systems online that are going to help help us survive. Mm -hmm. Uh, and body composition is not an essential system that you need. So your body's going to go, all right, well, I'm going to hang on to this fat and I'm going to get rid of all this muscle that I have. So, um, so yeah, when it comes to like changes in metabolism, they should be very, very slow and they are very slow so that you can survive. I mean, that's, uh, that's literally priority number one above all else. Fantastic point. Fantastic point. Good stuff, man. Another good one. Uh, nutrition is a huge topic. It's, uh, up there with probably one of the most massive inputs that I think we can, uh, expose our body to. So what's up, Jeremy? <laughs> we got another, uh, marathon scientist in the room here with us we'll have to bring him on soon but like i said i think uh nutrition is a huge input and something that we're gonna have to devote a couple episodes to so we're gonna come back next time talk a little bit about uh veganism and plant-based and uh and continue to talk about this uh theory and and process of metabolic flexibility because i think it's a good one use it or lose it so uh hope you guys enjoyed it and uh see you next time take it easy